morning. Welcome to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Aberly. When you think back to the 70s, the early 80s, pornography at that time, basically coming out to the masses. Thank the VCR for that. I think most technology seems to work on getting sex out to the public. The Internet, I think, is a big example of that. But getting back into that time period, there was one woman, and all you had to do was say her name, and you knew who she was. And she was the queen at the time. We can still say she's the queen, the most popular person ever in porn, in my opinion, Seika. Seika, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, darling. How are you? I'm doing fine. How was the Midwest today? Cold but sunny. There you go. Who would ever would I mean, could you have seen yourself 20 years ago, 15 years ago, settling in the Midwest? Well, yeah, I was in Chicago for 25 years. Well, meaning like Kansas. Could you see yourself where you are in that kind of uh, that kind of area? I mean, you lived, you know, you lived a really, you know, fast lane type of life. You were moving quickly, enjoying yourself. Could you see yourself settling that way, settling down? Uh, no. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> definitely. No, 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 not at all. But definitely, someone to thank, I guess, would be Carl, your husband. Yes. There you go. See, see, you owe the man this time. Very rarely can we say that the woman owes the man. But you're coming on today to talk about your latest book. You just released it, Inside Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. What a book! Let me tell you. Anyone listening out there, you get a copy of this book. It was a tremendous read all the way through, and it's not what people might think. It's definitely not a, a kiss-and-tell book. You're not going into great detail about you know, the pornography industry itself in a lot of ways. You're just giving the story of you. and you know, it's, it's the story of my life, and, of course, there's aspects of the adult business in there because yeah. it's, it is part of my life. But just, you know, other little dalliances that uh, that I went through and probably will go through again. <laughs> well, let me ask you this again. Why write the book? I mean, what did you want people to know about you that we didn't already know or that we couldn't have guessed? What was the purpose? Well, um, that I wasn't sexually abused. That wasn't why I went into the business. I wasn't raped. I wasn't forced. Um, I have a loving family that's supportive of me. Um, that there's more to me than, you know, just being naked and having sex on screen. Without a you doubt. Know? Without a doubt, okay. as, the book, as the book reads very well, pointing that out. But let me ask you this, too. What do you think is the biggest misperception of you? over the years. People have thought this, and it's definitely not you. What is that biggest misperception? Um, I think it's a, a big mis... Shoot, I lost my word. <laughs> misperception? Misperception of a lot of people that are in the industry that that you're stupid. Well, you know, you know it's, I, I think, and, and we're going to get into this, too, how rude and insensitive some people can be in this world and how they've been rude and uns, you know insensitive to you over the years. But I think you're 100% right. I don't think you can run a multi-billion dollar business and not have intelligence. I don't think the actors or actresses, for the most part, can be involved in this and not have some sort of idea on the business. And now some probably, but, but, you know, but I agree. There's no, I don't think there's dummies running this business. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. 
the, the people that are running this business are not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. The actors and, and actresses in this business, for the most part, are not dumb. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of guts to get out and do what you do and make a, a good living doing it. You know, it's funny about the hypocrisy that uh, you probably come across, obviously, more so than I would. But talking to people, people are like, you know, a lot of people, pornography's become mainstream, especially in the last 20 years. And there are people out there who view it, but at the same time, they still seem to have a disdain for the people who acted it. I don't understand that. I mean, can you explain that part to me? Because you've probably experienced it. Well, they're hypocritical bastards. There you go. There you go. To make to sit there and judge someone like that, and especially when you're viewing it, because let's face it, if no if there's no one viewing it, buying it, there's no need for it. So obviously there's a market there, and I don't understand why that hypocrisy comes out so readily. And again, you and I will get into that as you know we talk about your experiences. But I want to go back to your early childhood, and I was very surprised to read this. As you pointed out, people might think in a misperception that. Uh, someone in porn, a woman in pornography, might have been molested or somehow mistreated or has a father problem, but in a lot of cases, not the situation. You, however, and I was surprised to read this, you did have kind of um, a separation from your parents, and you were in an orphanage for a while, and, you know, that shocked me. And I want to know, what was that like? I mean, what's it like to be put in an orphanage, to be around all those strangers, those kids. How did you come through that? Well, I, I knew within myself that I wouldn't be there that long because I just told myself I wouldn't. And um, I went on a summer vacation with an aunt of mine, and when she when it was time for me to go back to the orphanage, she was packing my things, and I said, you can unpack those. I'm not going back. And she said, but you have to. I said, no, I don't have to. I'm staying here. And so I stayed there with my aunt. And that's a good thing. I mean, you were at least able to get out of that. But there's also a point in there you um, picked up uh, spinal meningitis, if I recall correctly, and became very ill, and it looked pretty bad for you there. How, again, how does a young girl with basically strangers around her handle that kind of situation. These are things that definitely made an imprint on your life and you know made you who you are later in life. Well, my dad, who was always in my life, he sat by my bedside the whole time I was in the hospital because I was in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad was always very supportive. Now, you really loved your father, didn't you? Oh, tremendously. I miss him every day. Yeah, if you read the book, you can see right into that. You can, you're also very protective of him. Well, he was my bud. Yeah, yeah. Now, your mother, mother seemed to have maybe a jealousy of you because she was getting older and you were the younger woman coming up, and that does happen. But do you think your mother had her own demons she might have been battling at that time, and that's why she couldn't be the kind of mother that she wanted to be or that you needed? Oh, I have no idea. No chance. Because I'm reading into that, I'm going, geez, is she, you know, is she suffering from depression? Is there something there? Because you just don't think of a mother treating her child the way you you were treated at at, at times in your early years. But let's go into high school. 
which I thought was interesting. You were actually a pretty good student. Yes, I was. Yeah, you actually had an interest. Now, here's the thing that I did find surprising. You were pretty athletic. Uh, you played basketball. You're about 5'8", it said, correct? I'm 5'8", yeah. 5'8". Now, can I ask you, if things had been different, you just missed when you graduated the Title IX resolution that came through the government, meaning that women had to have the same equal opportunity in sports as boys did. So getting scholarships to college and so forth were there. Do you think you might have been able to to get a scholarship to college? And if you had, do you think you would have done something different with your life? Would you have studied something? Is there a passion that you have? Well, I don't, I don't know. At that time, I really wasn't that interested in college. Well, no one talked about it, though, either, Sika. That's why if this had well, been there, they might have. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I, I probably would have taken advantage of the opportunity if it had been presented to me. Yeah, because because, I, yeah, because be, being athletic, you would have been in that first wave of opportunity for young women. And it just makes me wonder, would you have, is there anything you're passionate about? Would you want to have been a nurse? Would you wanted to study business? You seem to have a mind for business just naturally. Well, I, I love art. Okay. So I would probably have liked to have studied art. But, um... And I, I love to grow things and plant things. There you go. Could have studied horticulture or something. Something so, different. Um, you know, I, I don't know what I would have studied if I would have gone in. I'm sure I would have figured something out because I'm used to flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> it's worked for you, though. It's given you a hell of a ride, that's for sure. Yeah, it has. <laughs> it's definitely worked. Well... Getting in, like, you know, now you're, you're getting ready to graduate. You met your future first husband, uh, Frank Patton, a little bit older than you. Um, I found it interesting you, you kind of, you know, you touch on it that you're more or less a housewife, expectant mother the second half of your senior year, the only girl in school that's kind of living that dual role while being married. What no, was... I, was not, I was not an expectant mother. Oh, I take that. That's, I, take, I apologize for that. There was a comment made that people, there were other women who were expecting mothers. My fault. That's right. That's not, yes, you never did that. The preacher's daughter was an expectant that, mother, not me. That's it. And I get, you know, and how did that go down? Was there a, was there a definite um, separation in that, that you were maybe more looked down upon for marrying while being a senior in high school, while this young girl got pregnant, or you just didn't pick up on any of that? Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I think I was... I think I was looked down upon more because I did get married instead of getting pregnant and having a baby out of wedlock. Interesting. So, which was pretty wild to me. Yeah, without a doubt, you think it would be the opposite. I mean, okay, you decided to get married. And that wasn't uncommon back in the late 60s, early 70s for a young girl to get married coming out of high school. You just happened to jump the gun a few months early. Uh, yeah, I got married April the twenty first, nineteen seventy two. There you go. See, I don't again hypocrisy that just goes on. But tell us a little bit about Frank Patton. I mean, what kind of man was he? He had a little bit of an influence on you in certain areas. He did some things I thought were pretty crude. As people will read in the book, they'll find out. Did you did you ever love him? Sake it was he ever was there ever a true love there for him? Well, I, I I did love him, yes. Okay. I don't know that I was ever in love with him, 
I wanted out of the house, and he was a bad boy. The usual combination that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the usual. Every father's nightmare. Trust me on that one. Uh, yeah, and plus he was six six. He was a, a very tall man. So that so you so you were mesmerized by his height and his physical appearance. Uh, yeah, because he had tousled sort of sandy blonde hair and. Always wore sunglasses, so you know he he looked like a, a a tall biker boy. There you go. So, so that was what you were drawn to. Now, here's the catch: in most people, you ask people on the street, I guarantee this. The most people would never get this right. If you asked, if you know who Seika is, do you think that she was a virgin on her wedding night? I guarantee ninety five percent would say no way. But you were. Well, but but you are. Sex was not this this uh, thing that you were just doing haphazardly. You were very progressive in how you grew sexually. Yes, I was even a virgin the next day. That's right. That's right. You didn't consummate the marriage the first night because you got a little sick. No, I didn't get hmm. sick. I was scared to death. Oh, well, you, t- oh, you were that terrified of it? I was that terrified of, of being intimate, and I locked myself in the bathroom. Do you think that had to do more with the sexual aspect of it or the emotional aspect, considering what, you know, the background you were coming from with your family, or a combination of both? Just being naked in front of a man scared the hell out of me. Wow. See, no one would, no one would know that, because that's why I say your, your sexuality, who you are, uh, was, a, was a progression over time. And what I've learned, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you did on film, who you are on film sexually, is not really who you are in the privacy of your own home with your husband or a lover. Well, once I found out what sex was all about, I was like, yippee, I like this. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. That helps men, believe me. But again, but it wasn't, but you, you prefer in your private life by reading the book, you prefer the intimacy, the connection that it brings. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, that's part of loving someone is being intimate and um, knowing each other and knowing what one another likes and dislikes and well, that's it. Most fun and, and you know how to how to have a wonderful intimate relationship between the sheets. That's it. Most people would never think that. We're going to take a break real quick and listen to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. Be back in a few moments. Drinking while you're pregnant can give your baby brain damage and birth defects, learning disabilities, too. Look, here's the deal. If you drink alcohol while you're pregnant, you may be ruining your baby's chances of ever having a normal life. All forms of alcohol are dangerous, even beer and wine. Play it smart. Alcohol and pregnancy don't mix. This message is brought to you by the Chester County Department of Drug and Alcohol Services. For more information, please call toll-free 1-866-286-3767 or visit nofas.org. Thank you. 
Have you heard of the Minding Your Mind Foundation? Their primary objective is to improve the lives of adolescents and young adults by providing education associated with mental illness and mental health issues. They strive to educate students and enlighten everyone that these illnesses are both common and treatable. Help is available and recovery is possible. Student programs are free to middle and high schools. To learn more and donate, visit mindingyourmind.org. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Brandi Chastain, U.S. Women's National Team Soccer Superstar, and you are listening to WCHE 1520 AM, Talk of Chester County. You can say anything you like. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Seika. She has a new book out called Inside Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. Seika, please tell us where we can get a copy of your book and also about your website. You can um, buy the book on my website at www.seika.com. You can also get it at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. and, and Barnes and Noble and Amazon have the Kindle versions available as well. If you order it from me directly, it comes to you signed. Mm. So, <clears throat> and also I'm going to be at the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel in uh, Los Angeles for the Hollywood show in uh, January 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So I will be there signing my books and things of that nature, Uh, photographs, books, posters, all of that stuff uh, at that show, which is, it's a really cool show. It's it's not just people in the adult business. It stars from way back when to... Uh, up to you know to today, kind of like a Comic Con situation where you're getting stars that from back maybe like we'll say Leave It to Beaver days or I Love Lucy days, and they all come together. Yes, that's excellent. That's like a Comic Con thing. That's always fun. You've got dozens of people sitting, uh, and there's lines of people. You can pretty much pick any genre that you want, and someone will be there. Oh, absolutely! It is. It's a really nice show. And like I said, it's going to be at the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel, which is at 1755 North Highland Avenue in Hollywood, California. And that's January the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And then in uh, 
Jan- uh, also in January, I am going to be at the AVN show mm. in Las Vegas. At the, I'm going to be in the the room. I think the room is called the Joint, <laughs> and I'm going pretty high enough, really. <laughs> that has more than one double entendre in there. Yes, yes. <laughs> you- but uh, and I'm going to be at the AEBN booth signing autographs and my books. That's great. Seka, how do the how are you treated when you go to these signings? I mean, are, are there that still many people who remember you? Is there a younger audience now that's coming up in the ranks and they're just discovering Seka? Well, I would say that my audience ranges from. 18 to 80. There you go. You're covering every base. Well, I was at I was at the Chiller Theater show in um, New Jersey several years ago. I was there this year, but several years ago, and three gentlemen walked up. It was the son, the father, and the grandfather. Oh, my God. And they all three knew who I was and wanted pictures and so so on and so forth. So I've raised literally many many a young man. Oh, that's without a doubt. I mean, I remember when I was 14 and and I had a girlfriend in the neighborhood and she asked me what I wanted for Christmas and I said a Seika poster and she had no idea what I meant, but evidently she mentioned it to her parents who eventually kind of cornered me and said, "How do you know who that is?" And I'm like, and I'm like, well, my father had. We have a VCR now, <laughs> and I went snooping around in the old man's, uh, you know, in the old man's closet, and there it was, the old, you know, the Swedish erotica, the eight millimeter films that you starred in, and you yeah. know, you know, and you touched on this quite well, and I was interesting on this. The scarves that you wore were part of what Swedish erotica wanted, correct? That's the look they wanted with you to have those scarves. Yes, absolutely. And I still have a lot of those scarves. They're probably worth some money. You're auctioning those off on eBay. Uh, I'm going to put them up on my website. There you go. Well, what was the idea behind the scarf? Did they ever give you a concrete answer on why? I have no bloody idea. <laughs> it was just the look they wanted. It was just the look that they wanted. It, I guess it was sort of like their moniker. And none of the girls liked them. Yeah. Because for for one reason, and this is kind of gross. <laughs> oh, I know where you're going. I know. I, I know exactly. I got to cut you there on that one. But yes. But no, I, yeah. I wasn't going to be explicit. That's okay. I, I and I know exactly where it is. There was um, leftover. Yeah, leftovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can understand. Know, I, always, I always washed mine before I wore it. Well, you seem to be again just reading the book. Someone, uh, I wouldn't say you have an obsessive compulsive personality, but you do have what what I would say kind of a borderline. Things have to be in a certain way for you. Things have to be clean. They have to be neat. And I think that's a great trait to have. But it's obvious when you read your book, that's what comes out. Well, thank you. Yeah, my husband would probably disagree with you because he's laughing at that right now. Well, again, you read the book; it comes across that you want things in a certain way, and there has to be some neatness, and you know. And as a man, I have to be honest; I like a woman like that because it takes the pressure off of me. Well, there's a method to my madness. It may not, it may not be as neat as it can be, but it's clean. 
That's it. That, that, that's exactly how I take things. If there's some clothes I haven't folded yet, so be it. But as long as there's not a mess mess lying around where I'd be embarrassed to bring someone in my home, I can live with it for a little bit. Me too. There you go. Now, you know, you, your, your look was by accident, but your attitude and your approach to the industry wasn't. Meaning you came in, you were different. No one, the industry had never seen anyone like you before, not just in looks. Because, I mean, you kind of, and you could tell the story in a second about your hair, but not just in looks, your attitude and how you took control of the situation and didn't take any crap from the other stars in the movies or the people making the movies, you were way ahead of yourself. You were way ahead on the cutting edge of that. Did you get any backlash? Did you feel any fear doing that? I, I didn't have any fear doing that. Um I mean, if there was something I didn't want to do, I just said, I'm not doing that. And people were stunned because the women of the time, you know, never said anything about what they would and wouldn't do. And I did. And um, I didn't work with people that I didn't want to work with. Because, I mean, if I wasn't somewhat attracted to them in, in some way, whether it was physically or mentally, why bother? I mean, I had one of the best jobs in the world. I got to have sex, I got paid. There you so, go. But you had the control, though, which is, again, you set the tone for the women that came later as far as how they were going to, what they were going to say and how they were going to command, you know, what they were going to get out of the situation. Right. I mean... Why should I do something I don't want to do just because somebody else wants me to do it? Agree 100%, but you know most people, and especially women, and going back into that time period, they just did what they were told. They're glad to get a paycheck and move on. For the most part, yes. And that's kind of sad there. And uh, Okay, Bryn, my, my producer's giving me the high sign sake. i got to take a break. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to know what's going on with your favorite celebrities when it comes to entertainment, fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle? Well, tune in for The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12. I'll even catch you up on childhood stars like Boy Meets World actor Will Friedle. By the time I hit 30, I stopped doing on-camera work entirely. I'm having too much fun doing the voiceover stuff. Find out the latest tour and album information from your favorite artists like pop sensation Carmen. When we were working on the album, we had so many songs recorded. Some of them sounded really fun and really Carmen, and I think a lot of the stuff that inspires us is really fun. Check out tips for balancing life as a working parent from people like actress Melissa Joan Hart. It was difficult because I was missing them a lot, but now we have decided to all get together more, and so we've been traveling back and forth across the country as a unit. Also, get motivated to get healthy with experts like Good Morning America contributor Tori Johnson. So I realized that rewarding myself with food is akin to an alcoholic celebrating a month of sobriety with a beer. And you never know what some of your favorite stars might say. The last time I was in Philly, they surrounded me and they were like, we love you on MTV, you're our favorite comedian. I was like, So you don't want to miss all the action. Check out The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12 right here on WCG 1520 AM.
What do I want? I want to be seen faster. I want to spend as little time in the waiting room as possible. Less waiting. More taking care of me. At Brandywine Hospital, you'll find a 30 minutes or less ER service pledge. 30 minutes or less? You can even find our average ER wait time online or with your mobile device. Don't wait when you need care fast. Turn to Brandywine Hospital. Learn more at brandywinehospital.com. Hey, this is judahfreedlander.com, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM, because you're a winner. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. Seika, please tell us again where we can get a copy of your book and about your website. Um, you can get a copy of the book at www.seika.com. Click on the shop page. It's one of the first things that you'll see. And anything and everything Seika that you could possibly want or need is there as well. You can also get the book at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com in the Kindle version as well on those two sites. But if you want a signed copy, you have to order it from me at Seika.com. There you go. And pick it up. I guarantee it's a great read. It's not a one-and-done couple chapters here where they write in big print because they're trying to make a story out of it. It is a long book, well over 320 pages and there's a lot of in-depth things that I guarantee most people do not know about Seika. Seika, let me ask you now, your look, by accident, your hair was an accident, correct? Yes, it was. Now, now, tell me how that happens, because I have a vague memory of my mother coloring her hair, and she stripped it, and she had a mental breakdown right there in, like, like the bathroom. So I have a, an idea of how this could have occurred and, and, and the reaction that most women would give. But you just went with it. Well, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about it. I was getting ready to do a part in a movie, and my roots needed touching up. So I went to the store, and I bought the stuff. I applied the, the, the gook on my hair. And I came out platinum blonde, and I freaked out. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I've lost the job. They'll never hire me. And so I've been platinum blonde ever since. And, and when you came out, though, it says in the book, everyone stopped. They stared. No one said anything until someone finally said they liked it or they thought you looked hot or something. And then it kind of sold itself for the rest of your life. Uh, yes, and hence the Platinum Princess of Porn. There you go. And that and that's amazing because by accident, and a lot of great things happen by accident, it sets you apart from the rest of the women inside the pornography business at that time. You that time, there was no Platinum Blonde. There was no Platinum Blonde. And you were also, if not the first, one of the first to to eliminate their their pubic hair for the film. So that also sets you apart. Yeah, and how that came came about, as though I was the one that created it, is still beyond me because it was for the part mm-hmm. that I did that, and and everything else, you know, followed suit. 
So it wasn't something that I intentionally did just to be doing. It was for the part that I was playing. And so I guess I got credit for that, too. So thank you all very much for that. There you go. Two groundbreaking moments that basically made your career. But I want to jump into something that was interesting. Now, back in 81, going into 82, the country was starting to find out and hear about a disease called AIDS. And it was sweeping very quickly um, across the country. At first, it was considered the gay disease, gay cancer. No one seemed to know exactly what it was, how you could get it, and how you could avoid it. And at that time, you stepped away from filming right around that time. And that was calculated, correct? You wanted to step away. You didn't trust the circumstances. Absolutely, because there was no mandatory testing for anything, let alone AIDS, and there was no mandatory condom use. And my opinion, and it still is, is it's not worth my life. And it was interesting because when you did decide to come back, oh, several years later and do a movie, um, you insisted upon condoms and, you know, more power to you for doing that. And one of the, they tried to trick you by having uh, a yarmulke-looking condom on a guy. <laughs> and yes. the way I saw it, there's no way it would have worked. Well, no. I mean, it's like, please, I am not that stupid. I didn't wake up just this morning, you know. A yarmulke condom on, on the tip of a penis yeah. is um, not a condom. No, no, not at all. It's a hat. (laughs) Yeah, all it is is a hat. A hat that's going to blow off in the wind. Yes, and I said, no, no, no. (laughs) I give you you credit for that. Now, here's another one that's interesting. I don't think people would know, because I didn't know this, and I found it quite fascinating. Seika goes to Washington. You end up giving a, uh, a deposition, if you want to call it, in front of the uh, Mies Commission. Yes, in and, front of Evan Mies and the Senate Subcommittee. Yeah, and, and they were on a witch hunt at the time back in the mid-'80s. They were on a complete witch hunt, which I'll still never figure out why, but that's where they went with it. But you kind of called them, what would you say, hi, uh, Eddie, let me explain this to you. You kind of made an off-the-cuff remark to the Attorney General of the United States that I thought was quite funny. Do you remember doing that? Oh, uh, yeah, I shook my finger at him. I said, hold on there, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and my lawyer kicked me under the table. I said, don't kick me. That's his name. And and you're right. Again, you have to respect the title of the person, but not necessarily the person themselves. Exactly. I mean, and with all of his shenanigans going on. That was that was just classic, because I, I went looking for it. I went on YouTube, and I looked around. And I was hoping maybe someone had had filmed this, ABC News or something, and they had it in their archives. But I couldn't find it. But I got enough of a a visual to go with it. So that helps me. Now, let me ask you, this is something that's that's important to me, and I'm very fascinated by this as well. Your relationship with Sam Kinison. He is my favorite comedian. He died way too soon. But he was also... A legendary partier, partier, a man who was out of control at times. What was it like to be inside that storm with him? What was it? What was what was that storm like? That Sam Kinison storm. I had an absolute ball with Sam. I I loved Sam dearly. Sam was a great guy, 
But when Sam was up partying too many days, he could become a, a terrorist at best. So everybody just kind of took cover when Sam would go on a rampage. But I had a great time with Sam. He was a really nice, nice guy. And he was very giving. That's and, what I understand, a very compassionate, giving person. If you were in his inner circle, he took quite, you know, took care of you very well. Even if you weren't, if you were a stranger, he was also very nice in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. That, you know, and that changes the perception of Sam Kinison, uh, maybe for some people, because his act is very in, was very in front, very in front of your face, but it was a tremendous act. One of my favorite, maybe you got the chance to hear it before he put it on on uh, film, is when he talks about Jesus, if a Jesus had been married. And that there's no way yeah. a woman would have bought that story, leaving on a Friday for the, res- you know, for leaving on a Friday, coming back on a Monday after the resurrection. <laughs> I thought yeah. he was, he was tremendous. Was well, you know he was a, he was a preacher. Yeah, he, he was a Baptist minister, correct? Yeah. Yeah, by trade. His family, he, that's why he was so good at going on those rants, because he'd been doing that since he was a kid, speaking in that way. Yeah, and the one thing you couldn't do was argue with Sam, because Sam was a very smart and very quick man. Very quick-witted. He was brutally wicked. He was brutally funny, brutally right, and just so quick. Yeah, he he definitely left us way too early, because... Uh, again, I thought he was one of the best comedians ever. Take it doesn't matter what time frame you look at. Yes, the act was maybe a little crude and a little in your face, but if you're an adult and you want to enjoy something, he was an enjoyable person to watch. Very enjoyable to watch. To take he made you think. Yeah, he did. You know, because he brings up the fact, and, and I'll go back to this again. And you think for a second, he goes. What if Jesus had been married? Would any woman... There's a joke, obviously, here, but really, would any woman have bought that story? You know, they disappear yeah. on a Friday, come back on a Monday, and the guy's a complete mess? It doesn't work. Yeah, no. None of us would have bought that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now, another thing about you, I'm just going to touch on this. You were the first person, I believe, in a private lawsuit to use the newly designed RICO statue, correct? Yes. And your attorneys were quite smart in being able to pick that out and be able to apply it to your case, because it only have ever been used in federal cases before, more or less involving organized crime and things on those levels. Uh, you got a lot of notoriety for that at the time. Yes, well, one of my lawyers, David Shippers, helped Kennedy write the RICO Act. Okay. So that gave him some insight in how to use it in this context. Uh, absolutely. Now, throughout your life, you know, you've had your moments, you've had your highs, you've had your lows, you've been eating caviar, you've been eating hot dogs next. You've always kept yourself going, though. And it's it's impressive to me that you said it yourself in the book, there's really no job beneath you. If you have to survive, you'll do what you have to do. Absolutely. And I thought it interesting that uh, working as a bartender, which seemed like a natural fit to me for what what you would need at the time, I thought the selling of the hot dogs was pretty good. Oh, I I enjoyed that job very much. Yeah, so you got to see 
different people. And the one thing that was always a constant with you was your mail order business. Your mail order business is talked about from about the third chapter all the way through. It's always a constant in your life, always been an income. Uh, and still is. That's now, right. the only difference now is that it's online instead of in a magazine. That's it. And again, it's just interesting to me that, and that says a lot about you with your staying power and how the public perceives you. I mean, a lot of people are fascinated by you and obviously by the book selling and everything else. But let's talk about some of the rudeness that you've encountered. There were a few times when I was reading the book, um, I kind of felt for you. I, I couldn't believe a person could walk up and make some of the comments that they made to you because they recognized you and they knew what you had done for a living. How were you able to maintain your composure during those moments? Because I don't know if I could have. Well, you know, you can fix a lot of things. You just can't fix stupid. Yeah, but there's some people out there, though, that need to be put in their place, period. They, the only thing they're ever going to understand is is a verbal assault and, in some cases, an outright assault to get their asses in gear. That's about the only way certain people will get it. But you were able to keep that composure. It, I would say because of strong belief in who you are. Well, that and why condescend yourself to their level and and put yourself there with them, stay above them, and and move on. There you go. And you you didn't come through the eighties unscathed either. You had some substance problems, correct? You had to kind of oh, clean up a little bit. I did my share of drugs. I did more than my share. I probably did ten people's share of drugs. That's a, but, you survived you know, it, and, and I'm here to talk about it. So. And I didn't go through rehab. I just decided one day I'm done with this. I put it down and it was done. And you're a rarity. And I've seen that around people with some friends of mine and people I know loosely. They can stop smoking, just drop it right there. They're done. They throw it in the trash, never touch it again. Uh, they're drinkers. All of a sudden, that's the last beer, the last shot they have. That's That, I think, is innate to someone who has a lot of confidence in themselves. Well, you look in the mirror one day and you don't see yourself anymore, you know, and so you have to do something about it. And plus the man that I am married to now told me if I ever did that, that would be the reason he would leave. And I was like, okay, I'm done with this. We're going to get into Carl in the final segment. I'm looking forward to this part of it because he's a special kind of man. He's special in your life. He's a special kind of man to... It just didn't embrace everything about you where a lot of people unfortunately wouldn't. So I'm looking forward to that aspect of the final segment here. You're listening to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my guest is Seika, the platinum princess of porn. Be back in a few moments. My dad came to live with us last month, and you know, it's going pretty well. I feel like I never have time for myself. With him being around more, it really lets us catch up on things. His memory isn't what it used to be. We get up and we have coffee. He usually wakes up at 4.30. Then we go for a walk. He needs lots of my attention. I do need to keep an eye on his medications, though. That's important. Sometimes I feel like a pharmacist. I'd say John and the kids are adjusting pretty well. They honestly have no idea what I'm going through. It can be a little challenging. Help. But so far, so good. I could really use just a little help. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. 
That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, my name is Nicole Zell, and I'm the new host of Soundstage. Every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., we'll be featuring local musicians and upcoming artists. That's Soundstage, every Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m., with me, Nicole Zell, on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. Hey, it's Lee Wheel, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Seika, the Platinum Princess of Porn. Seika, tell us again, websites and how to get the book. My website is www.seika.com. Uh, you can order it there. You can order it from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, if you want, if you want to ask me any questions, my email address is officialseka at msn.com, and you can find me on Twitter at seka1954. Do you always go by the name Seka, or do you use? your birth name, Dorothy at times, or Dottie, or is it just strictly that's it, it's Sega? Well, it depends on where I am mm-hmm. and what I'm doing. It, it used to bother me, uh, as my husband can attest to, that if he would call me um, Dottie mm-hmm. in front of people at a show. And, you know, quite frankly, now I don't give a rat's patootie. There you go. That's what happens when you're married for a while or in a long-term relationship. You just start to give up on the stuff that won't change. (laughs) Yeah, very true. It's true. I've been with my wife 20 years. There's things I look at now and go, well, that's the way it is. It's not going to change. It hasn't changed in 20 years. It's not going to change in the next 20. So I just have to accept it or drive myself insane. Now let's talk a little bit about Carl. Carl's what you would, uh, inside the business, they would say is a civilian, correct? Never did any of that kind of work, didn't work in the pornography business. No, he did not. And he has a job very similar to mine. He works in sales and marketing. Uh, You don't go into exactly what he does, and I understand that. But so I understand him a little bit in that regards. Now, when you first met Carl, what made him different from everyone else. I know he's sitting there, so I'm helping him here. I'm giving him this question for a purpose here. <laughs> what made well, him different? What set uh, him apart? Well, actually, I had met him several times, but I didn't remember meeting him. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that part I read in the book. And that says something, too. You're either totally not ready for it subconsciously, or you just didn't pay attention. No, I was high. <laughs> Even better. If you're high, you can't remember anything. So what no, sets him apart? Why him? You remember the 80s. You weren't there. <laughs> I was growing up. Those were my teen years. So I got to watch it on Miami Vice and live through it that way. But, there you go. But what, made well, him, but what made him different, though? I mean, you've always had men around you. You could have had your pick. What made him different? Was there just a softness, uh, someone outside of the business who just looked at you in a totally different way? Well, I was sitting at a pool in Florida, and he was across the pool, and he had the most gorgeous green eyes, 
and black hair, and he was very tan. And I just went, oh, my God, I want that. And eventually I got it. Now, that's got to be an ego trip for Carl, because if he's going to say no, he's a liar, because I know it would be an ego trip for me to have Seika come across and say, I have to have you. So that right there has got to inflate one's ego tremendously. And I think that's a great story there on that one. But really, you've you've come to settle into what I guess we would say would be a uh, normal uh, retirement type situation, a normal existence, moving out to the Midwest in Kansas there. Uh, Carl's still doing his work and you're... You know, going around with your little garden and doing your things, keeping your business run. You've kind of settled into a very domestic lifestyle, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, I travel and do different um, conventions and different shows and things of that nature. I still run my website. Um, you know, obviously, I do radio interviews, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about getting a um, my, a radio show up and going again of my own. That would be good. I think that would do well. So, I mean, because I had a, a radio show in Chicago on the loop for three years. Yeah, you know, and, and when I was reading that, I was surprised to read that they didn't want to put any money into this show. To me, it sounded like a no-brainer. You have one of the most gorgeous women ever uh, from the pornography world doing a show, helping people as far as answering personal-type questions, and they couldn't find any money or time to promote it. Made no sense. That was the token chick. Because at the time, it was basically all men on the air. And um, I was the token chick. And my numbers, I was on a Saturday night from mm-hmm. 10 in the evening until 2 in the morning. My numbers were, were beating out the drive-time guys that were on five days a week. And that's a shame they didn't run with it, because I think you could have. Because Chicago... Now I love Chicago. It's one of my, it's actually my favorite city outside of Philadelphia, and uh, you know, I think it could. I, I I think you could have had something really great that ran there for a lot longer than what it did. Yeah, I think so too. At that but point, it is what it is. Yeah, that's true. You keep moving on in life. That's the one thing you have been able to do throughout your life is pick up the pieces, move forward, and you got. And I, you know, I got to give you credit for that. Now I'm going to ask you something. Um, and, and I found this very appeal, very interesting as well. Your nephew Matthew, whom you were very yeah. close to, um, yeah. you did a you know you unfortunately he passed early, but you really found out who the people were that were closest to you at the times, putting together fundraisers and so forth. Do you remember that time period fondly? Obviously, the pain of of, of what was happening, but fondly to find out who your true friends were. Oh, absolutely. It was amazing that, um, and it was predominantly throughout Chicago, that they would let me put a jar on the bar to donate money for Matthew for things that he wanted to do before he passed away. And I was slinging hot dogs at a Home Depot to help raise money for him, doing car washes and uh, a lot of the, the cabaret singers and stuff would in Chicago would come in and and do an evening of music, and all proceeds would go for Matthew. Excellent. And it, it was just, it was wonderful. Uh, how's your relationship? You touched on in the book with your brother, your sister. It's, it's still uh, very much not there 
as far as that connection between you guys? I don't talk to either one of them. Well, is that difficult for you, or is that just, again, your personality? You would just accept it? No, it's not difficult for me. I mean, I don't like the kind of people they are. Mm -hmm. So if they weren't my brother and sister, they certainly wouldn't be my friend. So it doesn't bother me. Okay. Couple last couple minutes here. I'm going to play a little game with you, and I'm going to you know throw out a, a name, and I just want your thoughts on that. What you know, what I throw out first thing it pops in. Linda Lovelace, liar. Wow. Okay. Good. I, that's right. Her book was pretty out there. Johnny Holmes, wonderful guy. Give a little bit more on that. He was um, very misperceived. Uh, I read the book that his uh, his wife wrote about him. And uh, from what I understand, he was a very nice man on set and off set. Yes, he was. He was a very, very nice person. Was was it difficult working with him in the sense because of the physical proudness that he had? Was that a, a difficulty? Did it scare a lot of women? Well, it certainly scared me when I first saw it. <laughs> well, that's a genetic freak there on that one. Did he... Did he have a hard time finding women to work with him? Because back in the day, uh, with the Swedish erotic, it seemed like it was the same actresses and actors, kind of like a family working together through many films. Well, it, and it predominantly was, because it, we didn't have hundreds and hundreds of girls and guys working in the industry. It was a very small group of people. So the industry, well, the industry's dramatically changed since then. From what I understand, there's people they call... You know, a girl comes in, might do 60 films real quick, and then, then you never see her again. Yeah, and she's a star. <laughs> yeah. What's the, if you, in your, your opinion, today, what is the biggest misperception of the pornography business today? Today? Yeah, today. I know you're a little on the outside of it, but you're also outside looking in. Um, I don't see the quality there that we had. I agree with that. I don't think there's much. I mean, not that the storylines were tremendous 30 years ago, but at least there was an attempt to make a story. Yeah, at least there was a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a reason for having sex. And you didn't want to get into playing the older woman roles later in your career, correct? That's just not something you wanted, something that Nina Hartley went to, but not you. That wouldn't have bothered me, but uh, because of the onset of, of AIDS and things of that nature... I wasn't willing to put my life on the line. Give me credit for that. Sticking to your guns. Okay, next, next uh, quick one there. The Chicago Cubs. Love them. Okay. Steve Bartman. Who? Steve Bartman, the guy that messed up the ball. The catch of the oh. ball. What's the perception oh. of him? Do you blame him for that? Yeah, he was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he was the perfect person for the role to play that role if you ever get a chance to watch uh some videos of that stories on that on espn he was perfect for being cast in that idiotic role and what's next for seika what's what's the next chapter of life hold for you uh i don't know i might write another book uh i i have a couple of things that i would like to write about and um there's a lot that is not in this book because I just didn't have room for it in this book. Okay. So it could be something of that nature. I love to cook, so I might like to write a cookbook. Okay. That would be great to have that. And, and is Carl getting ready to retire himself, or is he going to keep on working? Well, right now he's going to keep on working, but 
he he would like to retire. You guys have any plans to go down south, go maybe to the islands or anything, or is Kansas your home and that's it now? You're done. Oh, no, Missouri is not my home. I will not die in this state. <laughs> I feel that way about Ohio. So I'm pretty good you about know. <laughs> Real quick, Seika, before we cut loose here, please, again, give us the website and where we can find a copy of your book. Go to www.seika.com. Click on Shop. You can buy the book there. You can buy it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can reach me at Seika on Twitter at Seika1954. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Excellent. Seika, again, I appreciate you coming on. I thought the book was tremendous, and you have an open invitation anytime. Well, thank you, darling. Anytime you want to call, just give me a call. You have my number. You got it. Thanks, Go to Amazon.com and write a review for the book. I think I will. That's a good point. I think I will. And go Cubs. Maybe you guys will finally catch a break, but I doubt it. I I doubt it, too, but you got to love it. (laughs) Thanks, Seika.